about how it should have. Yeah. Oh, the one with Vince. Yeah. Yeah. Except you had to put on me mis- mispronouncing a word at the end all the time. I don't understand how you have to do that. Well, it's there. And if people want to listen through, they get the extra Easter egg. I think they deserve it. Yeah, so usually if I mispronounce, I, I'm very bad with names, but also if I mispronounce sort of anything, um, Carl will take it out. But then at the end when the music plays, if you listen to the very end, he'll put my mispronunciations in the end. <laughs> Just all through the... Yeah, yeah, so there's little little gifts for everybody who wants to kind of make fun of me, so... Friends and comrades, uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highlands Bunker. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're in the belly of the beast. Uh, We're behind enemy lines, and it's getting very, very strange. It was already peculiar, and it's getting more and more peculiar every day. Um, My uh, guest tonight is Natalia Alamdari. Uh, She has a master's degree uh, in journalism from the University of Missouri. She's the education reporter, education for the news journal Delaware Online. Uh, and she is also an organizer and sort of spokesperson for the Delaware News Guild. Uh, so I definitely want to uh, want to get into that. But uh, hey, thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. I guess you've been doing a lot of your work this way, so this is not uh, too, uh, you know, too weird. Yeah, yeah. I'm at the kitchen table that all the reporting happens from right now. <laughs> it all That's where it all happens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little worried because, and I'll, I'll extend this to you too, everybody who uh, has been a guest sort of virtually over Zoom or Skype or whatever, um, I always say you're always always welcome back uh, to do one in person. I, I, like, I like doing them sort of in here and haven't been able to do that, so I wasn't too sure how it was going to work out, but so far it's been pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah, Zoom calls. I don't know. We've got. I've gotten more used to them over time. <laughs> yeah. No. That's the other. The flip side of the coin is. I don't know if I want to get too used to it. You know. It's a little. It's a little Black Mirror ish. You know. Yeah. I don't like having to see my face in the screen either. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I mean, as you know, we only do audio, so it doesn't matter. You know, this. People have asked me now that we're doing Zoom. They're like, "There's no video, right?" I'm like, "No." Like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, that, like I said, the other the other thing is I don't want to get like sort of too used to it. You know, he's like, share. You know, you're just that's how you meet people. Are, are we gonna are we gonna watch like movies that way? Are we gonna like what are we gonna do? So it's a little bit demoralizing when you think about it. But uh, who knows? <laughs> I have no idea what's gonna happen next. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Zoom that's been freaking me out is the people who go on Zoom dates because that sounds absolutely horrible to me. <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, like people who will meet on dating apps right now are like, will you go on a Zoom date with me? And then they'll do a video chat together. Carl, have you been on a Zoom date? I cannot say that I have. Okay. Because we're going to have to, uh, one of these days we're going to find out what Carl's up to. We have no idea, really. It's funny because I have some some stories from the past that are pretty good, but we've never really interrogated it. We might have to get into that at some point. So, first, the first question I sort of ask everybody, because I really am fascinated, and especially people who come from somewhere else, um, what their background is, um, sort of how they grew up, what the town was like, what their parents were like, uh, and sort of what got them moving uh, onto the track that they uh, arrived at. Obviously, you have, 
you know, uh, an undergraduate and a graduate degree in journalism, so you had a pretty good idea what you wanted to do. Um, so how'd you, how did you uh, identify that as a sort of a vocation? Yeah, I like how you did your research and know that I have my master's degree. <laughs> um, I always give people full props. <laughs> I, their, their credentials get, 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 uh, get, get uh, announced usually. Um, so as far as like getting into journalism, I was, I somehow ended up on my high school newspaper staff. And at first I really hated it for like a semester. I just thought news writing style was stupid and I hated AP style and I just for some reason didn't like it. And then something clicked. I don't know what. And all of a sudden I was obsessed with my high school newspaper. Um, and I, I don't know, I eventually became editor in chief of the paper. And that was kind of what pushed me into wanting to major in journalism. Um, yeah, I just remember there was one day in high school where I told my teacher at the time, I was like, oh, I wish I could just stay in here and work on this all day. And he was like, yeah, that's called a job. And so now here I am. Um, now you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to know more about like background and stuff? I kind of skipped over that. I mean, whatever, some people go into it and have stories. Some people tell, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're comfortable with. I, I do think it's like, it's fascinating. Like I said, when people, whether they come from a small place, whether they come from a big place, because Delaware is both small and, and peculiar, as I said. So it's always, it's always funny when someone comes from somewhere else to say, yeah, I grew up like this and this was like my family life and this is kind of what I'm used to. And then I came here and it's either, it's, it's either, um, sort of highlighting or, or bringing those things out or it's complete culture shock because it's a it's a strange place I find I think it was a little bit of culture shock for me um so well, where I, are where are you from I'm from Houston so oh, cool. giant state giant city um but I'm from like the outer suburbs of Houston um so like some things are a little similar as far as the suburban areas of Delaware and like strip malls and everything like that's pretty much what my hometown area looks like um but like Wilmington as a city like the size is nothing compared to what I would normally think of with cities um but yeah I, I I don't I think I I think the reason why there wasn't as much culture shock for me was just because I think I'm pretty good at adjusting to moving different places because I've had to do it a couple different times like for work and stuff um yeah I think I think the adjustment went as good as it could have. Yeah, I, I guess also the job makes you adjust to where you are a lot more. So like if I had moved here for something like banking, I don't know, like I don't think I would know Delaware as well as I do now just because of the nature of my job and having to learn all the key players and the history and just what's going on in current events. Like I feel like it's a it, being a reporter is like one of the best jobs you can have if you're moving to a new place, I think. Yeah, part of it is sort of learning about it and like, you know, learning the ins and outs and you can find things that you like and don't like. Yeah, you're more, you're, you're sort of, uh, you're, you're engaged in it professionally, so you're in it where, where you're not just sitting back and, and going to work at home. Yeah, it like forces you to explore and drive around and meet people. Yeah. Which I feel like other jobs like we said like you just go home once you're done yeah so education was that something that that's sort of 
I mean, obviously, and we'll get to what's happened uh, during the times of our plague and what's happened with the work and what people are reporting, but generally your beat is the schools. Um, did you have a specific interest in that? Uh, was, was it an area that you had you know, specific expertise or you just thought, oh, that would be cool and I'll just go do that? Pretty much if that would be cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. The closest thing you could say to expertise is my mom is a preschool teacher, um, but that doesn't mean that I know much or knew much about education. Um, no, I just, when I was job hunting, I really wanted a job that would give me a specific beat to be covering. And I didn't really have anything in mind. I just wanted something that would let me look at things like inequalities and health and different disparities in the world. Um, and it wasn't until after I applied for this job that it kind of clicked in my head, like, okay, education is really the perfect beat for that because a lot of different issues intersect within schools whether it's k-12 or higher ed yeah so what was it like sort of getting yourself uh, integrated into the the community what what kind of things uh, struck you as uh, sort of novel or or important or how, how did the how did your integration go into that world hmm i think I think it went pretty smoothly. Um, I mean, like the first couple of months on the job, I was meeting people every week, getting to know like the superintendents, the PIOs, teachers, things like that. Um, yeah, and as far as like figuring out what was important to pay attention to in Delaware, like um, two of the former education reporters are still at the News Journal when I started, and they were big help as far as pointing me in the right direction and kind of giving me like little explainers whenever something would happen that I wasn't too familiar on. Um, I learned about referendums really fast because that was like the second day on the job I had to write about a referendum. Um, but yeah, everything's just like slowly built on itself to where I feel like I can talk about most things within education in Delaware education somewhat intelligently or at least know who to ask if I have questions. Yeah. And I don't, you know, people who are in it, um, kind of don't notice, or, or maybe I'm sort of a casual, I don't have kids. So I, it's one of the issues that I delve into very infrequently. And I'm always like, I don't understand what's happening. That's something um, hard for me too. Cause I feel like if I had kids, I would think about it a little bit differently. So I have to like check with parents every now and then too, and be like, what am I missing because I don't have kids in the school system? So that is like a little barrier there, I think. Yeah. The other thing is just the just the organizational structure itself. Like, I've lived here my whole life, so it, it doesn't seem strange to me. But when you think that all of these different sort of like, like the Newcastle County public school districts just slice up Wilmington, which is strange, um... You know, this, the way that they're laid out or the way that they overlap with like a, then a Votech aspect to it um, seems um, seems kind of strange. But again, I don't know. It seems like other states are more seems to make more more intuitive. You know, it's a particular area or, or, or whatever. But yeah, that that always uh, and I know that that's still sort of a I don't want to say it's a sticking point today, but I know that it's something that gets uh, discussed quite often about a way to. Uh, I guess we'll say like uh, make it more efficient. Uh, yeah, so like reorganizing in some way. Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 it's funny because it's always one of those ideas where yes, you could consolidate those, uh, and that sort of intuitively makes sense because it is sort of a haphazard, you know. As things grew, it just got more and more sort of a Rube Goldberg machine. Um, but anytime I hear uh, you know neoliberals say that, I know things are just going to get worse. Like that's always my like. I was very suspicious of that because like, okay, what do you, what is your real motive here? Just, you know, what are you really doing? So that's the kind of stuff I actually try to follow is sort of the higher level policy stuff. Yeah, as far as reorganizing, like if that were to happen, I remember I was at a Reading consortium meeting a couple months ago and they were talking about a potential timeline if this were something that ended up coming to fruition. And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to cover reorganization. Like that'd be so interesting. And some of the dates are like, five years out or something crazy like that. And I'm just like, Ooh, maybe I might not even be in Delaware by the time that happens. Yeah, one of the things uh, that you probably noticed, and maybe it's not unique to Delaware, but it's certainly because of the nature of our government and the nature of the school districts, no, nothing really happens. The quickest something happens is maybe eight or 10 years. You know, not, you talk, people talk about it for five years and then they do something and they pull that back and then people argue and then, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very. Um, but I guess again, I don't know whether that's unique to Delaware. I think maybe that's just how government functions. But yeah, I, I never nothing nothing big nothing big's on the horizon. That's what I always say. <laughs> there might be a horizon. Nothing big's there. So let's get into the the Delaware News Guild. Um, where it stands now. Uh, and I also want to get into sort of the difficulties of trying to move this forward in the situation we're in, the virtual situation, and also how the how the furloughs are going, how people are doing, what the structure is. Um, you know, it's sort of a, I mean, it's hardship. It's a, it's it's a, like a shit situation. Um, so I'm I'm sort of interested in how everybody's doing in that area too. But first of all. Yeah, Delaware News Guild. Give us a little background and um, sort of where it stands. Yeah. Um, so the Delaware News Guild is the union representing the reporters and photographers, photographers of the news journal. Um, we do not have recognition from Gannett yet. So we are still, I don't know the proper terminology on what we would be considered, but we are a union. We're just not recognized. Um, we went public March second early March it was the first Monday of March I don't remember the specific date right now um, but it's been since the first week of March we went public um, and we really the driving force behind all of this was wanting to really looking at the newsroom and saying okay we like what we have right now if things are really good we have a lot of fresh young people in the room who are eager and excited and willing to do good work. We have veterans in the room who consistently have said like things are really good right now. Like we like the place that the newsroom is in and our thought process was, okay, we like the way things are. There's no guarantee that things will stay that way. So the best plan of action, given the fact that Gannett and also Gatehouse now are prone to just continually, continuously cutting newsrooms, was okay we need to form a union and preserve what we have and then work to make it even better when we get to the eventual bargaining table um so we went public that happened and then 
not even, I think it was the next week is when everything went crazy with coronavirus. Um, so two weeks after we go public, we're working from home and things are up in the air and the union kind of took a brief back burner in all our minds just because things were so stressful that first couple of weeks. I think that was the case for just everyone in their lives freaking out over things. Um, but as far as where we're at now, um, we had a vote scheduled for the end of March and that was supposed to be an in-person vote. And that got postponed because of COVID-19. They weren't supposed to have any in-person gatherings or anything like that. So it would have been a public health risk for us to do an in-person vote. And then the NLRB even like shut down. So they postponed everything to, I think it was an April date. Um, but now the NLRB is back up and functioning and we're in this kind of weird limbo situation. So we have an in-person vote scheduled for June 16th, but the way we look at it is that date is kind of arbitrary because at this point we really don't know if we'll even be able to have an in-person vote by June just because the situation that we're in is so unpredictable. We don't know if it would be safe or possible for all of us to gather in like that one hour time span that would be allotted to do the voting. Um, so our plan of action right now or what we would really prefer to have happen is to have a mail-in election because that's something that we can lock down. There's no postponing it or putting it off because of the public health crisis and it would just be the most efficient way to getting us to recognition which once we have recognition that locks in status quo and that protects us if Gannett were to come in and try and change our working conditions which that includes furloughs, layoffs, anything like that, that we don't need more of right now. Um, so yeah, the thing that we're at right now is trying to get that mail-in vote and Gannett has been pushing back on that. Um, has been a little confusing about their actual stance on that. Um, there are like motions from the NLRB for our paper and also some Florida papers where Gannett is pretty much saying they're not in favor of a mail-in election. Um, it's a little, the jargon that they're using to get out of that is just, they're not taking a stance, but they're not saying yes. It's, it's just pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So um, answer a few questions for me. If you, if, yeah, you could, yeah. or if you know, I know that it's my understanding that, uh, between, uh, the first Monday in March and the end of March, when, um, you know, the, the, the COVID situation started to come and then everything was sort of put, put off. There was um, pushback by Gannett initially simply to what it seems to me is to simply throw uh, confusion into the voting process. In other words, say, try to try to uh, to make some sort of um, ex to exclude people from the vote, for example, and say these type of uh, these type of employees actually uh, shouldn't get a vote. Uh, or these type of employees, you know, so, so that's, you know, one way to either delay or to try to chip away at maybe the solidarity that you obviously built before beforehand. Um, I don't think it's uh, a surprise to anybody that generally when these things are managed, I mean, you know, you know how many votes you have, I'm sure. You don't have to say you do, but I, I, I suppose that you know. 
Um, so really, it's just a matter of, of Gannett sending a legal team down here to delay or just to throw into sort of confusion the process. And now the, the process has been thrown into confusion by outside forces. Um, so is, is there, and now that we're at least just talking about the vote, is there, what's the direction from the National Labor Relations Board regarding whether or not Gannett, whether or not they are okay with the mail-in vote or not is potentially irrelevant legally. I don't know, so I don't know where that stands. Are you able to organize a vote without Gannett saying this is fine? That is a confused, another point of confusion there, um, which I, I'm going to answer this carefully because I don't want to answer it wrong. Um, but something with the NLRB is that it also kind of depends on which region you're dealing with. And our region is in a weird place where it's being run by an interim director um, who I've been told the reason why we're in an even weirder position than other pending guilds is because our interim director won't hold remote hearings. The NLRB is really antiquated in a way where they normally their policy is to only do in-person hearings. You can't do anything remotely or over Zoom like we're doing right now. And apparently this new this interim guy is I don't know if hesitant is the right adjective for it, but he's just not really moving on anything. So we're in a position where we can't even really get a hearing. Um, so the NLRB, like you, we can't compel the NLRB to do anything like as, well, News Guild lawyers can file things with the NLRB, like motions and whatnot. But I think we as a union, like our actions really, if we were to try and appeal to the NLRB, I don't think it would do anything. Um, and I'm still unclear on like the legality aspect of if the NLRB can just say, hey, Gannett, you know what? We're going to, no, actually, no, they can't. I'm pretty sure there have been other unions not in Gannett where the NLRB has just said, all right, go ahead and go to a mail-in vote. I know that some of the Florida papers had hearings this past week where they were trying to figure out if they were going to get a mail-in date where it sounded like they didn't need Gannett's approval on that. So it really comes down to who who's directing your board. So that's, that's a good that's a good precedent anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be great if they got that decision. I don't, I don't know the result of that. I know that that was happening on Friday. Yeah, it's such a weird situation because, uh, you know, legally you can organize. That's just fact. Um, whether or not, you know, you can just be recognized or the vote's just going to happen, it could just happen. But now that, you, like you said, you can't go in person – you sort of need people to recognize a different way, and it just gives them a way to sort of delay, delay, delay. Now, and that brings into account this this new situation because the the COVID situation has now uh, had Gannett put furloughs in place for the staff uh, at the News Journal. Um, how is is it a week on, a week off? You're doing two weeks. How is that? Is it's affecting everyone? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so it's. Reporting staff and also editors. Um, so it was for this second quarter 
we each take off a week each month. So April, May, June. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, I did notice that uh, now that now that there's sort of rolling furloughs and there's a big story to report, but obviously there's other stories to report. People are starting to I'm starting to see bylines where I didn't expect to see them, which is pretty interesting. Um, the first one is uh, how um, you've done some coronavirus reporting. Um, how's that been? I mean, like, is it something different? Or, uh, it's I guess it's it's hard to say because you're like, as you said, you're doing it from your kitchen table. So it's sort of there's kind of a, uh, an aspect to it. It's like, oh, it's the same thing. Um, but I was wondering how that how 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 that was when everybody's sort of now outside of their beats or outside of their you know their go to meetings or their go to people or their sort of policies that they're thinking about and they're doing something completely sort of off to the side. Yeah, I mean, mine has stayed pretty much in line with education because I've really been following like school closure, remote learning, how everyone's handling that, what could come next, which that's the question that everyone's attempting to answer um so as far as my beat like i've pretty much been kept busy on the education beat um which i feel like once we turn to summer it might shift a little bit once things slow down a little bit um as far as i mean every story i write has like some connection to coronavirus right now um as far as like the work I don't like working remotely. It's really weird to not be in a newsroom because newsrooms are noisy and you have the scanners going and people on the phone and you can turn around and talk to a person or walk into your editor's office. And now I'm in my tiny studio apartment and it's just me and my cat and I don't like it. <laughs> your cat's not doing any copy editing or anything? No, okay. no. She just sits in her tower and stares at me. <laughs> Yeah, I did notice that there was, uh, now maybe you didn't write it, but you certainly reported it, and I, I wanted to get your sort of feelings on the, the topic du jour here in the in the state. Uh, and, and actually, there's a bigger reason I want to ask you, because I had an argument, uh, I've had two arguments about this topic uh, just this weekend. So I noticed that you and I think uh, Meredith Newman report reported on the request or the controversy regarding the Biden senatorial documents that are at the University of Delaware Library and Archive. Um, the reason that these obviously have come to the fore is that uh, if Tara Reid did make the complaint that she says that she made at the senatorial, I don't know if it was an HR or some sort of uh, structural way you can file some sort of complaint, if that complaint exists, it would be with Biden's senatorial documents at the University of Delaware. Do I have that right so far? Um, yes, um, at least the people who are wanting to check on those documents, because I know Biden said those personnel files wouldn't be in that collection. Yes, and I think, and this is exactly the point that I wanted to get to, and, and, and this was the, uh, the gist of the arguments that I had. Uh, Biden was on, uh, I guess, um, national TV Friday morning, and I think he was also on some of the Sunday shows. I haven't called myself up. Um, but while personnel files would not be included in those documents, that's not what this is. Um, as far as I know from the reporting that's been done by Ryan Grimm, by Katie Halper, uh, and by Business Insider... The office that a complaint would have been made 
did exist at that time. Those were not necessarily personnel documents. They were other sort of HR documents. They know that office existed, and if documents were produced in that office for, at a particular, for a particular senatorial office, they would be part of documents that would have been archived at the University of Delaware. I know Biden's sort of playing a little like a shifty game where he's talking about the National Archives and personnel documents wouldn't be in the trove at the University of Delaware. Neither of those things are irrelevant, I think, from the way I'm reading the reporting. So, yeah, I wonder how that was to report that story, what kind of uh, sort of feedback you got because it is such a... Um, uh, such a fraught and emotional sort of situation in Delaware, which I think is the problem. But in any case, yeah, I'm interested in the reporting on that. Yeah. Um, so my role in that reporting is really getting in contact with UD. Um, and as far as response, I know a couple of people had tweeted at me, but it was such a busy day that I really didn't read the tweets that thoroughly. Um, I did get a phone call from someone asking if I thought that Miss Reed was getting paid. And I was like, you know, ma'am, I really can't answer that question. Goodbye. Um, but yeah, I'm really curious about, because when I talked to UD, they, their main thing was we're still curating that collection. Funnily enough, it probably won't be finished until spring 2021. I just thought that was a little funny. Um, and also, UD was kind of pointing to the fact that other, um, like Mike Pence or other senators who have donated their paper collection to different universities, like that wouldn't be made public until that person dies and things like that. Just saying, like, how unusual. It would be if the school was to make those documents public. I'm sorry. What was your original question? I kind of just no. I think I think no. That it was just for, sort of about that reporting and sort of the feedback that you, like I, I I sort of assumed that you got at least some stray, uh, you know, some stray crazy tweets or crazy oh, yeah. calls. Lots of people who like the retweets that I saw were either saying oh vote biden basically like you either get the people who are saying vote biden because he's not trump or the flip side which is like why aren't we putting more pressure on biden what about the operatives that looked at the files before kind of referencing like the fox news reporting and whatnot um which campaign staffers did look at those files um and 2019 is what UD told me, but I really want to know what they looked at and why, but they could not answer that question for me. Yeah, I mean, and they're not, yeah, they're not going to. I mean, the fact of the matter is that if that document exists, that's where it would be. I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily think it's like a, uh, like I need to see that. My, my, my mind is made up. I, I've told people this and I've said on the podcast, I listened to the, the hour and 10 or whatever that she spent um, speaking with Katie Halper. And I leverage what I heard from that with the 45 years I've lived in Delaware. And so the answer to me is quite clear because I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Like I, I, I feel like I know what happened with that. My, my feeling is that I wonder whether, I wonder whether we're going to be allowed to try to substantiate the story. 
because it's a serious story. I appreciate the the position that the University of Delaware is in because it's not really for them to say we can do it or not do it. Um, I think, and this might have been reported by you guys. Um, you know, originally these this was this trove was supposed to be available in public even during Biden's lifetime, but because he's back in public life, it reverts back to the. Which again, this is not this is not uncommon. This is not a it's not a conspiracy. This is how it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be. You know, I, I I think this whole situation is fraught, not just Biden, but you know, across the board. Um, you know, there there is good reason to keep certain things private. There's good reason to follow the rules, etc. Um, but the problem is, then nobody really knows what to think or what to do. Yeah, yeah. I really Where... want to know more about the curation process. And like how much has been like what percentage of the collection has been cataloged? Would we be able to search through that? What like because there are like boxes of papers, but then there's also like hundreds of gigabytes of electronic documents. So I really want to know more about what it would take to search all of those things. Like what does that even look like? Um, well, and the difference is. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I read that too because uh, you gave that information, the number of pages in the doc. But I, I mean, the fact of the matter is the thing that makes this intriguing but also difficult is I think the report would have been made in 93. Uh, so unless it was, in, unless things were scanned at some point and then other, and then so papers destroyed, but it's moved to some other medium, which I, I would guess didn't happen. Uh, because there's so much paper that is there that we know. Um, so it's a piece of paper somewhere, or it isn't. I mean, I suspect that it is. But yeah, I, I, somebody might know. Somebody probably does know. Some library curator might have already come across it, and they just can't tell yeah. it. It's not open to the public. I think, I wonder too, like, would it be possible? I saw someone, I think they tweeted this at me, actually. Um, but someone saying, like, why don't they have a third party do a search and just like only release details related to that specific question. I was like, that's a really good idea. I don't know why they won't do that. I think I know why oh, they won't. Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know why. No. This is a, again, this is the thing too. I mean, from a journalistic standpoint, that's the question you ask, right? Can, is, is this something we can do to settle this issue and why can't, why can't we do it? <laughs> Look at each other like, you know why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, no, they're not going to do that because, um, you know, it, I, it's, it's too good of an idea for them to do. <laughs> I mean, now, so is this something that you're going to, you, you think you're going to continue to report because of the way things are going? Or was this a one-off and you just got to sort of kind of... Uh, dip into this controversial thing and now you can you can dip back out of it yeah i think the only reason i was pulled into that is because it had overlap with schools this brings up other questions of just like the 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 grander sort of issue sort of the me too issue now you know people should have the right to privacy um but also you know, if somebody says, if somebody makes a claim, and I know that um, Tara Reid filed a police report uh, in, in D.C., and now granted that the statute of limitations would have run out on that crime had, had, it, had, it, had it happened, 
But it doesn't change the fa the statute of limitations running out on it means it can't be prosecuted anymore. The fact of it is, it's still a, it would still have been a serious crime that needs to be investigated. So something's got to give, it seems to me. Um, you know, and I think it, it also sort of opens up this sort of social commentary about, about Me Too. Uh, I've lamented it myself because I don't know the... The, pol the, political, the, the political aspect of it is really disheartening, kind of sickening. It kind of makes me sick to my stomach because these are issues that I've actually gone and, and, and expressed my opinion about in a personal way in D.C. Um, but the one thing it never addressed is like, what if, if, if we have a Me Too sort of reckoning about the way women have been treated for the last uh, 500 years, um, or at least the last... 50 years where they've been allowed to go to work. Um, we need to have that reckoning. Like, what do we do? What do we do if we find out that Joe Biden did this in 1993? Like, what do we do? Nobody, nobody ever says like, what? Okay, so how do we, how do we proceed? What are the rules? Like, what are we? Like, Al Franken resigned. That was, that was that. Kavanaugh's on the Supreme Court. That was that. <laughs> like we have no we, there's no standard yeah. there's no there's no there's not even right i mean there's not not only is there not a standard there's not even like a guy there's no guideline there's no nothing it's just a big argument it's just a big political argument about somebody who had something terrible happen to them and so, and so that dynamic really is just an upsetting dynamic i think it's really hard too because we and i say like we collectively like we're kind of selective in who who we I'm just thinking like cancel culture, but like we're selective in who gets canceled and also like the degree to which they get canceled. And a lot of that has to do with like, do they seem to have a nice personality? Do we think that they would be the type of person who would do that? Do we agree with them politically? And that's the part that I think I would hope a lot of people like grapple with that in their heads. That's really what it is. It's either... It, it got it got merged with rather than a reckoning of a social of, of a social issue that we have been struggling with for years um you know the treatment of women in general the treatment of women in professional uh settings everything we have no it's just like we either cancel you're either canceled outright or we just f fight like you know if we have a political or or a uh, financial motivation you know maybe we can fight and and make people believe it's not true and and, and that's it like that's the only two like that can't be the, the only, only two, two things like no <laughs> with how it's treated anymore yeah. and I think, as you were saying that that kind of reminded me so i was you were saying that and i was thinking in my head okay yeah like me too has really morphed into or not even me too but like well, yes. Okay. Me too has really morphed into um, like kind of what we were saying. It's turned pretty political, especially if we're talking about political figures who are extremely right or extremely left. Like it's, it's got that political edge to it. Like it's a, what am I trying to say? Yeah. It's, it's turned into like a political weapon almost 
which you think, okay, that's not good. But then I also thought in my head, okay, when we talk about feminism, one of the big things about that is the thought that the personal is political. So like inherently, whatever we're going to say about Me Too is going to have some sort of political inkling to it. Like that that sounded like a really great thought in my head, but as it came out, it kind of got jumbled up. But I'm just thinking about how it's really hard to, um, these like really intersecting issues. It's hard to tangle them apart and treat these issues separately because you have to think about how one affects the other and there's no, there's really no separating these single issue topics. Does that make sense? It, it, it absolutely makes sense. Not only does it not make, not only does it make sense, I, I use this argument just in general, I'll give you an example. Whenever there's a shooting and some maniac mows down, you know, 20 first graders, um, somebody says, maybe we should think about how we regulate uh, these death machines that we sell. Because, you know, the, the idea of 20 first graders being cut down by a semi-automatic long gun seems like something we should be able to try to do something about. And somebody will say, why would you politicize this issue? And I say, I, I, have, I, have, I have possibly exciting but depressing news, depending on how you look at it, everything's political. There's no way around it. So I agree with exactly what you're saying. The fact of the matter is, we have an issue with the way women have been treated just in society, in the workplace, etc. It has to do with with power, uh, you know, just and and uh, chauvinism. I think is what I would call it. Um, and and that's going to happen at work. It's going to happen in your family. It's going to happen uh, in politics and in government. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen. It's just going to happen. So it's going to be political. You kind of have to just accept that right from the get go. And then the next step is then. Okay, so we can't just go on canceling everybody. What do we do? Like, how do we how do we reckon with it? How do we? I, I, this is a conversation I just had last week. Like, if I believe what I believe, but I also believe uh, Trump is a fascist, dangerous person. Like, how do I, how do I personally, or or somebody like me, how do how do I come to come to terms with that contradiction? Like. I don't I don't know yet but we but this is these are the conversations we should be talking about not being like I not not saying something stupid like oh I I've met Joe Biden three times he seems like a nice guy he didn't do this like that's fucking stupid we there there are serious contextual and and emotional things we need to work out from a societal and a cultural standpoint but nobody really wants to talk about that it's really funny that you bring up so cultural change that concept um, and I think it's so funny that we're talking about Me Too also because I literally wrote my master's thesis on the Me Too movement. Um, and so one of the themes that kept on coming up in the articles that I was analyzing was, oh, we really need cultural change. It's time for cultural change. And I honestly think there was an article quoting Joe Biden saying we needed cultural change now that I think about it. Um, but then what was always left out was, okay, how do we get that cultural change? And I think that's a question that people don't know the answer to, or they don't want to accept the answer to it because 
when we're trying to change the culture of like a workplace, let alone society, like that is just such an immense amount of hard work that one little sensitivity training isn't going to fix. And people, people aren't willing to put in the work. Like that's the bottom line. Like if your mind to change a person's mind and make them think that they need to change fundamentally as a human and also in doing so change society. Like that's a lot of people are lost causes. Like that's the sad part of it. And it really starts with like, you have to like slowly foster that sense of, okay, this is what is right. This is what is wrong. Like the conversation about consent, how that's being talked about more with young kids, like in middle school and high school, like, Older people aren't the ones who are going to change as we have to change the next group of people and really teach them. Like, that's how you get that aspect of cultural change. That's my long way of saying that's something that takes years to actually happen. And I think people wish that it was something that just happened overnight. I think that's what we were expecting with Me Too, is that it would just be this over overnight kind of light switch kind of change with how women are treated, which clearly, as we're seeing, it's not. <laughs> No, I um, I don't know if you're familiar. You wrote your master's thesis. Maybe you are. I I read and I find it very um, enlightening. Um, her position on it. There's an academic in Toronto, Heidi Matthews. And, um, she's written about me too, and it's sort of like, yeah. I mean, we just want to have like a cancellation culture, and we just want to be able to like fight for our side. But that's not getting us anywhere. That's not. The, the larger goal um, is to come is to come to some sort of reckoning and sort of decide how to move forward, not just go into political camps and say this person's no longer, um, you know, uh, relevant. This person's no longer relevant. This person's, you know. Now, obviously, there are other folks like I, I always go back to this after talking about something that upsets me. I, I just think about Harvey Weinstein rotting in jail. It makes me feel a little bit better. Like so, that was a that's a win. We don't get a lot of wins. I'm gonna take that as a win. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things that, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think people they don't come out and say it, but people know that it's hard work and nobody's really up for it. Yeah, like, it's to really just like tweeting. Yeah, to really examine like you know the culture of your workplace. Especially if you're older, like I'm, a, you know, sort of a little bit older, you know, I'm in my mid 40s. And so even for me, and I've talked about this on the show, like to think about the kind of person I was when I was at the University of Delaware or the kind of workplaces I worked in in the mid 90s, like the offices and what the culture was like, like I have to reckon with that myself, like because I was there, um, I participated, you know, everybody's in it. So, yeah, people don't really want to do that they I, I i get the sense that especially older people and, and people older than me especially are like it was a different time this is what we did i don't want to hear anything about it well that's not going to really that i'm you know and i understand people get defensive about different things um but also that's not helping like i i and i guess we i guess somebody like me might have um a little bit of a responsibility to well, not me personally, because I'm never going to do this, but like present the issue in a way like you're not you're not necessarily guilty of anything. We're not looking to cancel you. But if you but you have to some some somehow reflect upon 
what was and your role in it so we can start to decide how we're going to uh, how we're going to change the culture going ahead. Yeah. But, but there isn't even really an appetite for that, I don't think. Yeah, I think that we as a society need to be more comfortable with a person genuinely like learning more about a subject and being able to say, you know what? I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of self-reflection. I realized that I was wrong before and here's how I'm going to improve as a person. Um, I feel like when a person, or what am I trying to say? I think there is room for self-improvement in people. It's just that people themselves are resistant to it. And then society is also resistant to accept it. Um, which that also goes into whether or not it's genuine, but I don't know. I just think that it's, it's okay for a person to admit like, you know what? I was, I was wrong. This is why I now believe this because I learned things like, why wouldn't we want people to consume more information and shape their opinions based on that? I do. I'm not, I, I think you are rare. <laughs> oh, you know what? I mean, you're, you're not the first person to say that I'm rare, but not usually it's not in a good way. <laughs> I just think that, um, I don't know. I feel like, this kind of goes back to our cultural change conversation. People are resistant to change, even if it's something having to do with like one of their personal opinions or beliefs being radically changed. Like that's scary to most people. And I think we need to get more comfortable with having our minds changed about things. If it's for like, if, if it's coming from a place of like a well-educated reason, not just because we read like some, myth article online <laughs> yeah i mean yeah 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 i mean you have to do self-reflection it's like learning things and shaping your opinion i don't know i'm a big proponent of that agree <laughs> natalia thanks for uh thanks for jumping on during uh this this time of our plague i uh i hope you and your i i wish you and your cat the best and uh oh yeah i i, I hope that at some point we're able to to venture out again and maybe meet at the oyster house or uh, some other establishment and actually like converse in real life and and like watch lex eat oysters and things of that <laughs> nature so i miss my usual bars it makes me sad <laughs> yeah it's it's tough for us the one thing i i really enjoyed um and, and uh lex was always there too as we watched the football from england and uh we, you know we go out we watch it with groups and groups of people and it's just like yeah, just the thing that we do, and it's just been like, whew, nothing's going happen. Nothing's happening. <laughs> April went yeah. by pretty fast though, so that was that was slightly comforting. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Do you think it went fast? I, I, it's, it's, it's funny. Some days I feel like, I feel like the days go quickly because there's no, um, there's no routine any, but at least. The routine is so much different. It doesn't feel like a routine. And maybe you experienced this too, just with furloughs and perhaps working on things that you didn't work on before and obviously staying home every day. Um, like the days go pretty quick because it seems uh, manic uh, or, or strange. Mm. Uh, but then the month is like, is it still April? 
I feel like, like the days fly by, but then you look at the calendar and you're like, well, has it been two weeks? Has it been three weeks? What are we, what are we doing? Yeah, so yeah. I just have no sense of time like, at all. Yeah. It's very, it's very, um, doing, having such a, uh, a, a drastic, drastic change to any sort of flow or routine in your professional or personal life is very disorienting. Mm-hmm. It's extremely disorienting. I actually give people like uh, online and other places when something crazy happens, I'll just be like, look, he's starting to crack up. Everything's fine. Just let him like, everybody has a little more. I'm giving, ev- I'm giving everybody a little more slack because I know this is like a rough time mentally for everyone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, uh, I, I very much appreciate you joining us. And uh, when this is all over, everybody who's done a virtual one, will have an invitation uh, to our studio here and we can, uh, we can do this all again. Great. Hopefully we'll have a union by then. <laughs> I hope so. I, I can do, you see what's up here? Do you see I it right above my it, head? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was co- compliments of photographer Jerry. Nice. He hooked it up. I hope I actually recorded um, about 90 minutes or almost two hours with Jerry. We've never released it because it's just, it's so, I mean, you know, Jerry, so. I've heard about this one. I, I want it to be released. <laughs> well, so we, 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 we spoke under the auspices of, of me explaining the rules of cricket. Cause he, he hates baseball, but he wanted yeah. to learn. Oh, he hashtag sin. <laughs> um, so, so I, we have this long and probably boring for a lot of people discussion about cricket, but it's bookended by the stories that was Jerry was telling of like his growing up with his friend and the stuff is this, the, the girls, his friend dated him and his friend dated in this church that they had to go to, to, to be with you. And it's just like, I'm, I'm hoping that so, at some point Carl has like, you know, a day to pick through that and like a best of Jerry sort of hits. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll connect it to this, but yeah, he's, he has been in, he's actually the one who, uh, who gave it the, uh, the placard and I'm, uh, I'm proud to put it up um, because we, we're, we're always in solidarity with any workers. We want, we want workers protected. Um, we want them to be able to have, you know, a great life and not worry about their healthcare or being furloughed or things closing down or being, you know, it doesn't have to be that way you know, just so somebody makes another half a cent share in, in, this, in the quarter. Like, that's not the way, you know, that's, that's not the way to organize our society, I don't think. So I, 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 hope, I hope that you're all, uh, you're all buttoned up and unionized by the next time we speak. Yeah. Can I give one shout out? Absolutely. For, we love shout outs. I guess. Um, I would just want to say to listeners, if you don't already, please subscribe to the News Journal because your subscriptions make it possible for us to keep doing what we do. Um, And also, if you think that local news and journalism is something that's important to you and you want to keep on seeing it specifically in Delaware, please sign one of our petitions. There is one Action Network one out right now um, telling Gannett that you value journalism and you don't want them to make any more cuts because more cuts are bad for the newsroom and bad for our communities. Also tell Gannett that you think that they should recognize us as a union because then we can just get straight to what we all want to do, which is bargaining. Yeah, definitely support the Delaware News Guild, support every union except for cops. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash the Highlands bunker. It's at Highlands bunker on Twitter. Um, you can you can actually subscribe uh, to our show on iTunes, or you can give us a patronage on Patreon. Five dollars a month helps everything we're doing. It also will help us stand up uh, our new media venture, uh, which we are in the planning stages of doing. 
Um, so yeah, uh, subscribe to the news journal first and then the podcast second, if you can, uh, and we will uh, very much appreciate it. So thanks again. Left is best, everybody. Yeah.